Thanks for coming. I made these opinions myself. They're only half-baked. And remember, consuming undercooked opinions can be hazardous to your health. Welcome to the Compass of Power. I'm Adam Wilson, and I love politics. I've been around politics for a long time. And my theory, my grand theory that we're going to talk about on this show, is that what's really going on in American politics is you're seeing the politics of place. Specifically, that the population of the United States has been shifting to the South, and that has upset the balance that we've had for more than 100 years, in which the North was more or less in charge of the country. And... One way of looking at it, this time we're going to look at Florida as the future of American conservatism, and specifically the governor's race. And why should we care about Florida? Uh, Mostly because there's a lot of people in Florida. It's growing like gangbusters. It just became, in the 2020 census, the third most populous state. And to do that, it had to pass New York State. And, And let's just start by thinking about that. New York State is a big part of how we define America. It's the archetype of the American experience in a lot of ways. How many movies, how many books, how many politicians are from New York? Uh, Breakfast at Tiffany's, West Side Story? How about Teddy Roosevelt, Franklin D. Roosevelt, the Statue of Liberty, Cab Driver? I'm walking here. Oh, that movie, by the way. You ever watch the movie where that line actually came from? It is a dark film. All right, listen. Point is... New York is well-known to every American and to a lot of people around the globe. Uh, But you've been owned, Empire State. Florida's number three now, and certainly Florida is well-known. It's behind only Texas and California at this point. It's been growing for a long time, and I would like to thank the good people at Good Greek Movers who uh, have... An entertaining website, to say the least, but I enjoyed when I was looking at, like, well, where are people coming from? They actually collected some of this data uh, when you can find this from other sources. But I just enjoy Think of this as the sales pitch for moving to Florida. Zero state income tax. Some of the best rated beaches in the world. Low property taxes. More entertainment options than just about anywhere else. A culture that blends the best of the U.S., Latin America, and Europe. Huge events all year round. If you enjoy water-related activities, it's the best place to be. And being able to say the following and mean it, I will never have to shovel snow again. Well, you're hoping, Florida. Uh, But all of this is, uh, you know, more or less true. I, I think particularly, though, we're talking about culture. And politics are downstream from culture, as they say. And Florida's culture is a blend of the U.S., Latin America, and Europe. But let's be more specific. Florida, as a European um, civilization, shall we say, uh, was founded by Spain, um, Florida. And so it has always had uh, a strong Spanish influence. Uh, the north of Florida is basically the deep south, right? Like, And I'm not an expert on Florida. I don't live there. So people in Florida, I apologize for the following sweeping generalizations, but I believe they are true from a very high elevation. Um, north Florida, Tallahassee, that area, that's the deep south. 
which was founded by English planters who came over from the Caribbean, were looking for more land to create more plantations. And we know the Deep South uh, stereotype, and I think we all know a little bit about that culture. But Southern Florida is off the map, basically, when you talk about U.S. culture, in that it's unlike almost any other place in the United States. And I say states because, you know, there there is Puerto Rico, there's the U.S. Virgin Islands, there are... You, there's U.S. land and U.S. citizens uh, throughout the Caribbean, but the only part that's a state is that southern bit of Florida. Um, <clears throat> but, you know, aside from all these, like, you know, kind of fun reasons about taxes and beaches and interesting culture, really uh, there's an economic reason to move to Florida, and people have been piling in there to Miami, Fort Lauderdale, Tampa, St. Petersburg, Orlando, Jacksonville. Um, and where are they coming from? What is bringing people here? Well, number one is what the uh, census would call domestic migration. That's right. We're not talking about people moving from the world to Florida. We're not talking about international visitors, which obviously there are a lot of in Florida, but actually what they have is domestic migration in that people are leaving other states to go to Florida. And where do you think they're coming from? Well, one state's gain is another's loss. New York is the number one, uh, shall we say, state of origin for people moving to Florida. And uh, that has had direct electoral consequences. Uh other big states where people are coming from Georgia, which is right across the border, right? Um, Pennsylvania, which is again in the north, right? You're, you're sapping northern strength. If you move from Georgia to Florida, you're not really changing the political dy dynamic in the big picture, like the north versus south dynamic that we've had for hundreds of years. You're not changing that by moving from Georgia to Florida. But Pennsylvania to Florida, yes. Ohio is number four on the list, also north to south, California. Now, California, as we know, is in the west, but actually its culture uh, was imported from the northern United States, or a lot of it. It's, it has an affinity for that culture. As we know, the west coast is very much aligned with like the northeast, and it's very uh, liberal along the coastal part. I understand there are differences in California. But anyway, so you're stealing from New York, you're stealing from Pennsylvania, Ohio, Florida, New Jersey's on the list. So also from Jersey, look, this, you know, this is clearly uh, uh, a, a shift in one state. And then you also have people moving from North Carolina and Texas. And we talk about Texas uh, in a different episode. You should check that out. Okay, that's enough of that. The point is that Florida has people and they are, it is gaining people from other states. And that means it's gaining political power that other states once had. And it now has 28 congressional seats. It won a new one in the 2020 census. That's part of its population growth, so it gets a more representation in Congress. And that seat is up for grabs in the election coming up this November. And it has more power than even its growing population might suggest because it was a huge swing state. Perhaps still is, but we have to remember that uh, Florida has been on the bubble and that, you know, possibly deciding state over and over again, all the way back to, um, Bush v. Gore in 20, in 2000, uh, Barack Obama won Florida twice. Donald Trump won Florida 
twice. And in Charlie Crist, uh, we have a great example of that bipartisan flavor. See, Charlie Crist, who is running for governor this year, has been elected as a Republican and as a Democrat in Florida. Charlie Crist is a former state senator, a former state attorney general, a former governor, all as a Republican. He actually lost a Senate bid to Marco Rubio while he was a Republican governor. He switched sides, became a Democrat in 2012, and was elected to Congress in 2016. And now he's going to run for governor against the guy. See, there's someone in Florida who, to the liberal eye, to the northern uh, eye, is basically the Sith apprentice who may kill his master and become emperor. That's right, Ron DeSantis. Uh, if you listen to major outlets with a liberal bent, and I don't just mean MSNBC, but also like the Washington Post and New York Times, you get this sense that DeSantis is running amok, that he's like a monster, and at any moment he may actually mutate into Donald Trump. Just look no further than Joe Biden, who recently said that uh, DeSantis was Trump incarnate which sounds a little bit like a devil reference, I'm pretty sure. Pretty sure that refers to the devil. And here's a headline uh, from the Washington Post. Mysteries, legal challenges, follow Florida Governor Ron DeSantis' migrant flights. Or here's an opinion headline. Ron DeSantis' repulsive war on Disney will soon face a reckoning. Um, he's really disliked across the... Uh, liberal spectrum in the northern United States by the elite. Now, obviously, the underclass in the north might love Ron DeSantis, but uh, the north really doesn't like him. And I think to understand this, I had to take a trip to another dimension, a new and interesting place, I suppose. That is, I listened to a favorable interview with Ron DeSantis, a conservative interview, a fawning interview. And I have to tell you, it was good. It's not good in, like, I enjoy his politics, but good in that, like, I understand now why this guy is a superstar in the conservative universe and also why he wins elections. Because Ron DeSantis puts all his chips on himself and he wins. And he's done it a few times. Now people have confidence in him. You see, if you talk, uh, you talk about COVID and the great pandemic, this is really where he came shining through, right? Because... You wind back the clock and you go to the beginning of the pandemic and it's time for lockdowns. Uh, but And Ron DeSantis in Florida had lockdowns, but pretty soon he's like, I'm done with that. Uh, they say, you've got to, you know, they then the masking rules came out and everybody needed to wear a mask. And like lockdowns, Ron DeSantis started saying, this actually isn't going to bend the curve. Remember, that was the original goal. We're going to bend the curve. Uh, masks are not going to stop COVID. Um, schools need to be open. It's important for kids to be in schools. We're going to open the schools, COVID, and we'll, or not, and we're going to just take the precautions we need to. And again and again on these issues where the federal health apparatus, the community health folks, and uh, the liberal side of the American equation are all saying, we got to do this. We got to do that. We got to do this. We got to beat COVID. This is how we do it. We got to make some sacrifices. This is the era, I remember, of uh, Andrew Cuomo in New York, 
which just keeps coming up here, uh, was having these press conferences on here's the next steps we're going to take and here's the counts. And this is very serious. We have to save people. And people of the Democratic persuasion loved that. I mean, he was a hero for a while. He's gone now. He's gone now. He had some problems. But at the time, it was like, look at these lessons in leadership. Well, this is why Ron DeSantis is loathed is because Ron DeSantis was betting the other way. And in his view... I'm sure, you know, from, if you look at it from like the uh, other side, it looks like he was just like, no, no, no. You know, like he's just reckless and he's taking huge risks. But, but from, if you listen to him, he's telling you, well, I looked at things. I looked at the data that they said the hospitalization rate was going to be here, but it wasn't. It was like, you know, a quarter of that. And I started thinking, we don't need to do all this. And from his point of view and his followers point of view, he looked at what they were telling him, analyzed it for himself decided that's wrong and then did what he could to take a different path. And because he put his money on black while the CDC kept putting their money on red and Florida continued to do okay and the economy continued to grow, uh, his stock value just went up and up and up. And he can talk the talk. You know, when you listen to him talk, you know, he starts talking about mononuclear antibodies or something. You know, I've never been into like understanding all the health science here because it seems like this endless trip. But uh, if I don't know if he knows what he's talking about, but he definitely can throw around the lingo like he knows what he's talking about. And, you know, a great example is uh, vaccines, you know, uh, from his point of view, when they were talking about everyone has to get vaccinated, get the shot. This is going to be the answer. We're going to not have COVID anymore. If everyone, we can reach a certain amount of herd immunity. I remember all this. Uh, And he would say that while he looked at the data coming out of places like Israel where they had uh, early and strong vaccination programs, and he could see clearly that the efficacy of the vaccines waned. And when he went out in public and said, I don't think that this is going to be the complete answer, uh, the efficacy of the vaccines wanes, something like that, where he's questioning the vaccines, he's jumped all over by the mainstream press. Like, how can you say that? You are a vaccine skeptic. This is the problem. You're giving openings for people not to get vaccines. But from his point of view, he's just pointing out something that actually later became common knowledge, which is that your vaccine would fade over time and would not be a long-lasting solution to getting COVID. And we all know that it protects you from getting the worst of COVID. But uh, the point here is that again and again through COVID, Ron DeSantis was the skeptic who later proved to be um, if not right, he wasn't wrong, right? And certainly the economic news in Florida was all right. People, it's a service economy. They've got Disney World. They've got their beaches. They've got their hotels. And people started coming back because the mask rules weren't so tough. The restaurants were open. The um, schools were open, right? Um, so he bet on his own analysis and it kept paying off. And his stock kept going up. And then he started doing the same thing with what we would call cultural issues, right? He kept, when uh, they put out this, what they, you know, it's known now as the don't say gay bill. And I honestly have no idea what it says because that's just like what it was called in the mainstream press. But there was clearly a dispute over what could or could not be spoken about in grade school classrooms. Like, well, what are we telling kids about sexuality? Are, and, 
when the Disney Corporation said they had a problem with it because Disney has their own constituency, right? And they were opposed to this bill. He jumped on Disney, right? Now, some governors in this situation with a huge employer, a major player in your state would be like trying to placate them. You'd be trying to play nice in the sandbox, but not Ron DeSantis. He's learned that if he, if he's sure, then he just jumps on it. And he jumped on Disney and became even more of a hero to his base. Uh, the same thing happened with critical race theory, right? They started talking about how are we talking about race in schools? And again, I think what DeSantis is good at is he can pick up where the public is and the public frequently is not where the most progressive elements of the Democratic Party are. So just like there were some folks who were all for every possible step you could take to prevent the spread of coronavirus, and there are plenty of people who wanted to take significant steps to like change the narrative on race in America, DeSantis could tell that that's not where the majority was. And instead of being like, I don't think we're quite there yet, or that's not what I would like to do. He's just like, you're wrong and you can't do that. And he just pounces on them. Uh, so he won the first time uh, in his governor's race with like 34,000 votes in a state with more than 20 million people. I mean, he, he squeaked by. Now he has something like $207 million in his pack. I mean, he's a beast now. Um, and he's up against, as we said, Charlie Crist, who has all the credentials you could possibly have to run for governor, right? Including having been governor, having worked literally for both sides of the aisle. Um, and you would think that Crist is like a great candidate. He is on track to win. Uh, but he just, he hasn't been winning lately the way Ron DeSantis is winning. He hasn't been winning where he takes these bold stances and then like is able to hang on to them. But that really makes a difference. Um, we can say that it's div divisive. We can say that it's reckless, but psychologically, I think with the voters, it's very impressive when you like stake your claim way out there and then like actually hold on to it and come through. Uh, and so, you know, Florida is doing well and Ron DeSantis is the governor and Ron DeSantis has been out there. And so the restock of the Republican party in Florida has been going up by all accounts. Um, and there's more people moving there. This is something that DeSantis talks about that I don't hear, uh, a lot of Democratic governors talk about, even those where there are people moving. Like, yeah, I'm in the Pacific Northwest, and in Oregon and Washington, they are adding congressional seats as well. People are flooding in here. But, you, you know, I don't hear the governors talking about, like, they're voting with their feet. But that's how DeSantis talks. He's like, look, if we were so bad, people wouldn't be coming here for vacation. But more people are coming than they used to. There wouldn't be people moving here from New York. But they are moving from New York. Um, and it's not just white people because I, you know, I think that there's always this narrative that I hope someday we break ourselves of that it's just a race thing. And, uh, when you have Republicans winning, it's because they've activated the white base and it's, you know, up to everyone who is not white to, uh, vote for the Democrats so that they can win. But Florida is 52% white, 27% Latino, 17% black. It's a very diverse state. And DeSantis is carrying it. Uh, in the polls I saw, he's up 10 or 14 points over Charlie Crist. And you cannot do that just by activating 
the white vote. So there's more going on, right? And frankly, they have another very well-known Republican uh, governor, uh, gov- politician with presidential aspirations in Marco Rubio, right? So this is why I wanted to talk about it a little bit, because this might be the future of conservatism. The wins DeSantis has gotten on some tangible issues like pandemic restrictions is being exported to all kinds of topics, right? So he decides that the Democrats are too far out there on transgender issues, uh, and he pounces on it. Well, say what you will about the, the quality of that position, he's now like upped his stock, and then he takes that approach, that conservative approach, in a, and uses it for minimum wage. For example, freedom beat COVID. We gave people the freedom to keep their restaurants open. Our economy's great. Who needs a higher minimum wage, right? Look, these liberals want to talk to little little kids about uh, sexuality and homosexuality and, and all of this, and that's just not appropriate. And we need to stop that. We did. And now we're going to crack down on our universities, too, because they're out of control. Right now, you might say, well, universities are for adults. And aren't they supposed to be places uh, where all views are equally considered? And we could talk about the politics of academia. But let's just move on to the fact that DeSantis cracked down on universities as well. Right. So you use the one win to just plow through. Our restaurants are open. Also, I'm tired of environmental regulations stopping us from opening more restaurants. It just, it can go on and on and on. So that's where I think it's important to watch DeSantis, who by all accounts is considering a run for the presidency in 2024. He would not answer the question. Famously, go check the debate between him and Chris, and Chris just point blank asks him, say that you're going to serve four terms. And DeSantis uh, just, you know, like smacks Chris across the face where he's like, the only old tired donkey I'm worried about is you or something. Um, point is that DeSantis feels like he's on a roll. He's channeled some of this boldness and provocative style from Trump, but he's lined it up with, uh, frankly, what seems to be a more cogent uh, intellect and a better sense of what he can and can't do. Now, again, not not any kind of policies that I'm in favor of, but I do think it was fascinating to peek through the other side of the mirror and say, oh yeah, now I get it. This guy is like a winner. He's a fighter. He's a guy who goes in there and comes away with the victory and people love winners, right? Nothing succeeds like success. So he's definitely worth watching, definitely worth understanding. And it's important because if you can do that in Florida, which as we already discussed is a growing state, is a very diverse state, not only in terms of culture, but race and and, uh, economics and everything else, then you would think that could be exported elsewhere across the United States, that there's something in that, or at least that it could be um, attractive to a lot of those folks in the North who don't like where things are that, you know, the Republican underclass that can change things in Wisconsin and can bring Michigan around or Ohio for that matter. Uh, so let's see, will, is DeSantis the, uh, the, well, who, 
who overthrows who in the Star Wars universe? Somebody let me know, uh, because I feel like nobody overthrew Palpatine but Luke, and that's kind of lame. But the idea is that someday Trump will, you know, he'll find a lightsaber in his gut, and Ron Santos will be holding it, and then we have to deal with the new bad guy. From the liberal perspective. All right. Thanks for listening. You can always go to the website, uh, compassofpower.com. Tell your family, tell your friends if you enjoy it, or uh, just tell the people who might actually listen to it.